Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Verse 6, having just described in verses 1 to 5 in this great nature psalm how the world was created, we read this amazing statement about the Genesis flood. Are you ready? Psalm 104, verse 6. Thou coverest it, the earth, with the deep to home, the ocean depths, as with a garment, just as if God flung a whole blanket of water over this planet during the Genesis flood. But the one thing God wants us to notice, watch this please, the one thing that he knows we'll have the biggest problem with is how much of the world that flood really covered. Was it just a regional flood in Mesopotamia, which sad to say is the majority view today among evangelical Christians? Amazing, I even taught that myself the first two years I taught at Grace Seminary. But, but look, the waters did what? They stood above the mountains. It was a mountain covering year-long deluge. Now, of all the details in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 about the flood, how long it lasted, the different phases of it, the building of the ark, the gathering of the animals, and releasing of the raven and the dove, and all those details, details, details. One thing God knows we'll have a problem with. Did the flood really cover the world? Well, I have two questions about that. How about you? Lord, are you serious? You expect 21st century scientifically minded Christians to believe that? Where did all the water go when the flood ended? How long did all of this take? And of course, the typical answer today is millions of years. That's a magic wand, which when waved at earth history problems, supposedly solves everything. God says, sit down, let's talk. Now listen carefully. Are you ready? Verse 7. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. That doesn't sound like millions of years, does it? Or something gradual? No. That's catastrophic. Thank you, Lord. But where did all the water go? Keep reading. They go up by the mountains. Literally, the mountains go up. The valleys sink down. So the waters go where? Now watch the end of verse 8. Unto the place which thou hast founded for them, thou hast set a bound or a boundary that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Thank you, Lord. I see the picture. At the time of the flood, you push those mountains up, you push those ocean basins down, and those various seashore lines right there are the boundaries that God set that the oceans will never again pass over. That's the rainbow covenant of Genesis 9. He says, local floods, yes. By the way, last month we had one in our basement. I'm ready to write a new book on local floods. <laughs> but a mountain covering, global deluge of water will never again happen in the history of the world. It changed this planet as we shall see forever. The climate, geography, topography, trillions of fossils in one year. Thank you, God. Help me to understand this. Now, friends, so significant is this event. You don't have to turn. But 200 years later, the greatest of the writing prophets, Isaiah, said this. Isaiah 54, 9. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, the flood. For as I have sworn, 
that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. God says, I will never forget the Genesis flood and the rainbow covenant promise. All right. Now, friends, as you see these things happening, you just begin to think, my, what an amazing series of events. Oh, oh, wait, what's, what's this? Something's happening. Are you ready? Oh, look. It's coming up. It's going down. Thank you, Lord, for that tremendous transformation that took place when? In the last seven months of the flood year. The ark landed on the top of the highest mountain, you remember, five months after the flood started. Seven more months for that water to assuage, to go down as Noah could see mountains coming up everywhere around him, around the region of Ararat. The world was changed forever. So I say, now, Lord, I'm amazed at what you did to lift those mountains up. Now, flip back in your Bible to Psalm 95. Would you do that? Turn back a couple pages. Psalm 95. Let's take a careful look here at what really happened. Verse 3. Psalm 95. Verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills. Now watch these hills and mountains now. Is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. So what do we do? When we see huge mountains, do we go up to them and say, Oh, time and chance, how great you are. No. Oh, God, how great you are. You see? Now watch. Verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. Thank you, Lord. I have never fully recovered, friends, from the many months... I studied historical geology, how the mountains were formed, a whole chapter in my thousand-page textbook at Princeton University when I was a godless evolutionist in the summer and fall and winter of 1942 and 43. You know what they said about mountains? They said it's a strange combination of time and chance. Oh, really? I want my money back. Time and chance... Add millions of years and mountains will go down, not up. That's an unsolved enigma of earth history to modern geologists. God says, watch me. I'll show you the secret of the transformation of this planet. And friends, God is an expert guide. Let's follow him. Shall we tonight for a few minutes? He's going to show us some secrets about the oceans and secrets about the mountains and number three, secrets about the fossils inside of the crust of the earth. Now, to have God as your guide, you have to have his word in your heart, if not in your hand. And he will show you something. Okay, now let's go down to the ocean, shall we? <clears throat> How about the Atlantic Ocean? I mean, Indiana is not famous for oceans, shores. So jump to New Jersey tonight. Ocean shore. As you stand there with the Bible in your heart and mind or maybe in your hand, God says, now look out there. That's the deepest ocean in the history of the world. Really? Yes, before the flood, the oceans were shallow. Why? 
because maybe half of the earth's waters were where? In a vapor canopy above the atmosphere, waters above the firmament for 1,656 years. A global terrarium making the world warm and humid. No rain, no snow, a warm, humid atmosphere. Ideal, by the way, for dinosaurs, reptiles, atmospheric pressure, gigantic sizes of these reptiles. Now, did you know that today in the Pacific Ocean there's an ocean basin 36,000 feet deep. It's like God pushed down with his thumb into the crust of the earth at the end of the flood year and the water rushed down into newly deepened ocean basins rapidly. Now we have enormously deep oceans which do what? Serve as reservoirs for both oceans which before the flood were separated from each other. And that previous upper ocean if we can call it that, that vapor canopy, condensed in six weeks, 40 days and nights, a torrential massive downpour at the beginning of the Genesis flood, and it has never returned to where it was. Second thing about the ocean. It's the last, ocean, last liquid ocean of the universe. It'll stay right where it is during the 70th week of Daniel and the thousand-year kingdom of Christ. But at the end of the millennium, It'll all evaporate and God will replace this planet with a new planet in which there'll be no more sea at all. Take a picture. That's the last and the deepest oceans of the universe. Thank you, God. Now, if you're pleased with God as your guide, let's ask him to take us on part two of our trip tonight, shall we? Let's visit some of the highest mountains of the world. Oh, my mountains. Uh, is Indiana famous for mountains? Colorado, yes. Alaska, oh, Mount McKinley, 20,000 feet high. Peru, South America, tw- Waskaran, 23,000 feet. We've been there too. But let's go to the Himalayas, 29,000 feet above the ocean. And this time when you go up to those mountains, take an oxygen tank with you. I mean, you're going to have to have some help to survive up there. And take with you your Bible a camera, and this time a pickaxe so you can dig a little bit into the, into the ground and find fossilized plants and animals, marine creatures. Uh, I have a collection of fossils. Maybe it's fascinating. God says, do you know what I put into the crust of this earth? Billions and billions and trillions of beautifully preserved creatures from the previous pre-flood world. Well, the first thing you see when you look at those fossils, friends, is that they are recognizable. This is a fish fossil. This is a reptile. This is a bird. I mean, how could that be? And there's no, there's no transition forms between them. No links. Charles Darwin said this. If you can't find the links between the major types, then my theory is wrong. May I make an announcement? Evolution is wrong. In fact, one leading evolutionist at Harvard University, Stephen Jay Gould, gave up. He said, let's quit looking for transition forms. There aren't any. And here was his answer. You'll laugh when you hear this. He said, evolution must have happened so fast, it had no time to leave missing links. So out of the egg of a surprised reptile mother hatched a full feathered winged bird and flew away. Well, where did, it, where did this hopeful monster find a mate? 
this is silly. And all the other evolutionists laughed at them. And he laughed at them. He said, all right, then where are the missing links? But they're all laughing. All of them are laughing at us because we say, look, God created full-grown birds, full-grown reptiles, instantly. You see what we have that they don't have? A living God who is absolutely omnipotent, powerful, incomparably wise. He says, watch my world of living things. Now, in the first chapter of Genesis, it says it ten times. Are you ready? That every creature that God put on this planet, he designed to reproduce exclusively and forever after its kind. After its kind. After its kind. Ten times after its kind. God must be anticipating resistance to this basic fundamental truth, the fixity of created kinds in Genesis 1. Guess who hates that doctrine? Satan. The first words he uttered to the first woman who walked the earth were these. Follow me and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. You're not stuck down here, poor woman, to be a mere human. We're going up to a higher level. We're evolving. And Satan has given us all over the world today the idea we've evolved. We were, we were once something in the ocean and now look at us. And you know what he wants to do? Evolve into deity. When his creator appeared 2,000 years ago, you know what Satan said to him? Bow your knee to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Worship me. I'm, I want to be God. How many are thankful Jesus said no? No, no, no. Thank you, God, for your son. And I say now, Lord, all over the world, evolution is being taught. All the public tax supported schools, many churches even, many Christian schools. Yes. And I say, Lord, help us out. Nothing is clearer in the Bible than this. Evolution never happened, can't happen, never will. So every kind of bug, bird, fish, reptile, mammal, remains the same kind forever. Varieties with any kind, yes, be careful here. Varieties, yes. 200 varieties of dogs, but no dog will ever start to become a cat, for which cats are all saying amen. <laughs> varieties, yes, but every variety is weaker genetically than the ancestor from which they descended. See? The second law of thermodynamics in genetics. Down, down, down. Weaker, weaker, until you finally become extinct. But you're never going to become a different kind. Humans remain humans forever. We're never going to become angels or divine because even though we're going to be glorified by the mercy and grace of God, we're still 100% exclusively human. Angels are angels forever. They'll never become divine. Ever. Not even good angels. Now listen to this one. God is God for the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the only significant change that has ever happened in the history of the universe is when the second person of the triune Godhead added a human nature to his divine nature 2,000 years ago. And now he's God, man, two natures, one person for our redemption. But he's, he didn't evolve into a human. He's still 100% divine. And 100% human. Thank you, God. Evolution is what? Impossible. It has never happened. 
anywhere ever and can't happen anywhere ever. Thank you, Lord. Now, look at those fossils you're digging up up that mountain again. The second thing you look at is you see the fossils. Beautifully preserved. Delicate body parts, fins, feathers. I mean, amazing preservation of these creatures. Why? How? Because of the flood. So now, watch, the, watch Genesis. If you look at the fossils, you see the book of Genesis. Are you ready? They're each designed by God through creation. <clears throat> because of man's rebellion, they were cursed by God and therefore were capable of dying. Number three, they were buried so rapidly in the hydrodynamics of the flood, they didn't have chance to what? Decay? See? No predators could get to them before they were preserved. Amazing event. And it is not happening anymore. Fossilization is finished. It never happened before the flood. It has never happened since the flood. It is a unique mark of the mountain covering year-long global deluge of Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. Fossilization. Thank you, God. Now, you're, you're up in the Himalayas, you remember now? And look around you, there's snow and ice. Never was before the flood. The world's climate changed permanently at the deluge. High mountains, polar regions, Greenland, 10,000 feet of ice. That was never here before. You say, Lord, help me to understand how all this happened. All right? Now, God is going to give us a little tour here of the Grand Canyon of Arizona. You don't have to go to Siberia or just go to Colorado. And let's see what's there, shall we? Now, how many have been to the Grand Canyon? Several of you have not been. I'm shocked. You must make immediate plans to rush to the canyon. But when you get there, be careful now. Are you ready? If you stand right up here, be very careful. It's 5,000 feet down here. Look, look at these layers, like pages of a book. Layers of a birthday cake. 5,000 feet down. 25,000 feet across to the other layer. You say, what do you mean, be careful? You mean if I stumble and fall over, it could be serious? No, if you know Jesus, you'll very soon be with him. <laughs> I'm talking about falling into the clutches of an evolution-oriented national park guide who wiped God out of your mind totally. Millions of people come to the Grand Canyon every year from all over the world. It is one of the most spectacular wonders of the world. But the, the guide, with rare exceptions, will say this. And this is what I was taught to say and to think. Ladies and gentlemen, this canyon took one billion years to form. Oh, remember that magic wand? Billion years. Oh, isn't it wonderful what a billion years will do for an evolutionist? See, a uniformitarian? And I say, what do you mean a billion years? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it worked like this. You see, a billion years ago, there was nothing here but a geosyncline, absolutely flat. 500,000 square miles of these four western states over here. And then all around the edge, the perimeter of this basin, there were rivers that poured their sediments evenly across this whole region. Okay. A, a layer of soil. And then a million years later... 
On top of that, another layer. And a million years later, another layer. Until after 500 million years, you have 5,000 feet of superimposed layers. And then, ladies and gentlemen, a river appeared, a river, now watch this one, and slashed through all those layers, through hardened rock, and that took 500 million more years. One billion years, thank you. Everything you just heard is impossible. It takes enormous faith to be an evolutionist, to be a uniformitarian evolutionist. Why? Now just watch. No such basin could exist on this planet. 500,000 miles absolutely flat? No way. Many reasons. But even if it was there, no river could pour a layer on top of it evenly across. It would form deltas around it. See? But even if it could lay a, put a layer across, in a million years, what would happen to the layer? It'd be twisted, buckled, eroded, out of shape before the next layer was put on top of it. And that would happen every time. Every layer. Bent out of shape, twisted, eroded, you see? And furthermore, finally, no river in the world could cut down through 5,000 feet of hardened rock. It would form, I mean, the biggest river we've got, the Mississippi, has a wide alluvial plain and a gigantic delta down in the Gulf of Mexico. No river could do this. You say, well, Dr. Whitcomb, I'm ready for an answer. How did the Grand Canyon get there? Brace for the shock. The whole thing happened in less than two years. You say, I think I hear a difference of opinion here. <laughs> right. It would take global catastrophism. It would take millions of currents sweeping across this planet back and forth. Tsunamis, if you will. Crisscrossing each other. Dumping a load here. A layer there. A layer here. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. For months! Until finally 5,000 feet of layers are formed here, in this area, right here. Okay? Now watch. Then, when the flood ended, the continents, as we saw, lifted up. It cracked open, right here. Water in the inland gouged its way through soft, unconsolidated mud layers as it rushed to newly deepened ocean basins. And the whole canyon was carved out within weeks. You say, that's impossible. That's our thinking. This is called catastrophism. Dr. Henry Morris, my co-author of the Genesis Flood Book, was an amazing hydraulic engineer. He said, it's been proven endlessly, the second greatest force of destruction in the world, next to nuclear power, is moving water. Okay? Now watch. Could the flood have had hydrodynamic power sufficient to bury trillions of creatures and fossilize them in sedimentary layers in one year? Uh-oh. Yes. You're now a catastrophist. You say, what in the world is a catastrophist? I'm not going to join this club until I know what I'm getting into. <laughs> All right, friends. I now invite you to come with me. Let's take a look. 
How many ever heard of Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington? 30 years ago, the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century took place. For months, in the spring of 1980, the north slope of this beautiful mountain, look at that, 10,000 feet high. Beautiful Spirit Lake right here. All of a sudden, the north slope began bulging out 30 feet, 40 feet, shaking. The geologists were terrified of what was going to happen. They said, get out of here. Something awful. They had no idea how enormous the catastrophe would be. Okay. Now, these pictures were taken by some scientists miles away. But they died. Sixty of them died trying to take pictures of what they thought would be a, something they could, you know, be at a safe distance from. Okay. Now watch. That's how much of Mount St. Helens disappeared within hours. Thousands of feet vanished. Now, now are you ready? Here we go. That's what's left. I had the privilege of exploring this region after the, after the volcano uh, blew up. Like the surface of the moon, every bug, flower, bird, tree, plant vanished. Now, here it comes. Oh, oh look out. This, these are from a man's camera. Now, watch, watch it. Are you ready? Here we go. Oh, oh look out. Start running. Too late. Oh, no, we're dead. That's it. You're finished. Wow. And guess what happened? Just at that time, a satellite was floating around this planet and took pictures of this. Now, now you see, see here, right there. See the, the ring of ash and dust and smoke coming out of the volcano in the western part of the state of Washington. By the way, the state lines here in the picture were added later. <laughs> and the ash and the smoke covered the whole state of Washington and it, at, at noonday, the whole of eastern Washington became like midnight. Now watch. It keeps moving eastward now. See, across Idaho into Montana. And as a matter of fact, that smoke and that ash went all around the whole planet Earth. Bye. But friends, take a look. Now, now, here's what happened within hours. See this man down here? All these layers were formed uh, as the volcano blew up okay, and spread this ash foot after foot, yard after yard after yard after yard, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer within hours. You'd think, well, this took a million years. No, no, hours. Enough blast. Thousands of times bigger than the bomb that dropped at Hiroshima in Japan. Thousands of times more powerful. Here we go. And, and the mud gouged out a valley near the volcano Scale 1 to 40 of the Grand Canyon. The, the outwash of water. 300 miles an hour, the blast. 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Everything buried and dead. You know, in Yellowstone National Monument, they, they have found trees like this. See this man here? Upright. They thought, well, it must have taken millions of years for all these forests to grow on top of each other. No, no. 
A couple of my friends decided to get into their scuba suits and get down under Spirit Lake. By the way, I want you to see them here. Looking back on Mount St. This is what's left of Mount St. Helens, right here. And you know, when that, mount, when that mud came down, tens of thousands of tons of mud came down to Spirit Lake. Now, I, 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 I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing this. It created a wave 900 feet high that ripped off a million trees on the opposite mountain and dashed them down into the lake, which is now 300 feet higher than it was. A million trees. Look at them all. And they said, these trees all went down vertically, like you see in Yellowstone, vertically, with the root system at the bottom, looking like a forest. But it was formed within minutes. Now you say, what in the world is that, sir? That is the exact opposite of what happened at Mount St. Helens. How many recognize this ship? The Titanic. Next year is the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. April 1912. The last survivor died, I think, last year. Now, friends, you know what happened to the Titanic, don't you? It was... It was uh, boastfully announced all over the world, this is the greatest thing ever built by man to move. Now, the pyramids are bigger, but they don't move. And they convinced 2,400 people to get on board that thing to have the fastest trip across the Atlantic in history. They, they, they actually announced it's unsinkable. This is recorded. A woman got on the Titanic and said, Sir, to one of the officers, can this ship sink? He said, Ma'am, not even God can sink this ship. Don't say that. It's like God saying, Oh, really? Watch me now. Watch me. And you know what happened, don't you? It struck an iceberg. Well, it was designed not to be able to be sunk by an iceberg. But you see what happened? A few years ago, we sent a machine down to the bottom of the Atlantic, 11,000 feet down, and found the remains. Broken in half, the Titanic. And guess what? They found that the, steel, the hull had not been properly tempered. And an iceberg could just rip right through it like cardboard. And it sank within hours. Now, guess what else happened? This is awful. Of the 1,500 people that went down with the Titanic... Not one bone or tooth has been found. Pots, pans, knives, forks, everything spread all over the ocean floor, but not one single speck of any human body has been found. Why not? Just the opposite of the Genesis flood. Anyone who dies in an ocean today and is drowned is, vanishes because there are billions of scavengers that will devour all flesh immediately. Even though a fish is only half dead, he's devoured. So not one fossil is formed in the bottom of any ocean. God doesn't want the ocean floor to become a garbage dump. And the same is true of the continents. In our western states, for hundreds and thousands of years, bison, buffalo roam those prairies. You know what happens when the animal dies, don't you? It can't become a fossil. Why scavengers take away all the flesh? And in changes of heat and humidity in summer and winter, the bones pulverize, disappear. Nothing is left. He doesn't want the continents to be a garbage dump either. 
But friends, you go down into the Grand Canyon or any layer of fossilized strata in the world and what do you see? Perfectly preserved marine... Look at this. This layer right here. One billion perfectly preserved fishes. How did they die? They didn't all get sick one day. Trust me. They were smashed by mud that moved across this earth catastrophically. Just like that. Perfectly preserved. A billion of them. Okay. Now what's this over here? Those are tree trunks. Ripped up, transported, smashed, carbonized under heat and pressure. In the catastrophism of the flood. High-grade anthracite coal can be formed in one hour with enough heat and pressure on vegetation. You say, really? Floating mats of trees and forests all over this world, smashed, fossilized? Yes. And friends, here's the point. When the Genesis flood struck this earth, as we discussed last time, guess what happened to the people? Here's the point. They were not fossilized. What, did, what were they doing? They were climbing the hills, you see, to escape. They had one week to do this, as they saw the animals, remember, moving into the ark. They're going to escape this temporary, limited catastrophe. They said, these animals have a premonition. Let's get out of here. Let's climb the hills. The higher they climbed, see, the higher the waters rose and picked them off by thousands and millions, and they all drowned. They couldn't be fossilized. They drowned. They were devoured by scavengers. We found a few, a very few human remains deeply buried in the earth here and there. Very few. But they were wiped out forever. God erasing the very visible reminder of a depraved demonic humanity at the time of the deluge. And I say, Lord, I'm absolutely amazed at this. Because way up there by Colorado and Utah, there's a dinosaur national monument. And I invite you to go with me to see in your mind what's up there. Because in that, in that place, in that museum, you know what they've done? They have left dinosaurs, skeletons, half chiseled out of the rock just as they found them. Right. Can you imagine that? Look at this. The whole wall. Dinosaurs and other creatures perfectly preserved, smashed. Just as half chiseled out for you to look at. Now, we're going to go up to that skeleton, that fossilized form, and ask a question. Now, let's, let's, let's follow some advice here. This is going to be very difficult. Turn to the oldest book of the Bible, which is not Genesis, but what? Job. Now, turn back a few pages to Job just before Psalm 1. You find the book of Job. Turn to Job chapter 12. Are you ready? Job is going to ask a question of his so-called friends who have absolutely frustrated him by their false concept of the providence of God. And he says to them in chapter 12, are you there, Job 12.1? No doubt, but you are the people and wisdom shall die with you. He says to his so-called friends, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who knows not such things as these? Now skip down to verse 7. This is amazing. Are you ready? Verse 7. But ask now the beasts 
and let, and they shall teach thee. And we're going to we're going to enroll in in what Beast Theological Seminary here, that the faculty. Who, who else is on the faculty? Now keep reading. And the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Number three. Or speak to the earth, be a geologist, a paleontologist. Go out and set your textbooks aside. Get out of your classroom and go with both eyes open and connect with the brain and see what God has already put there for you to look at. A trillion fossils. How did they get there? Layer upon layer upon layer in the canyon elsewhere around the world. How did they get there? Now watch. Speak to the earth and it shall teach thee. And the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not... In all these, that the hand of the Lord has wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So let's do it, folks, in conclusion tonight, shall we? Let's go right up to this great big dinosaur fossil and say, Sir, how did you get there? Oh, he will say, thank you, sir, for asking me from God's perspective. Says he'll teach you. I'll tell you my story. I was minding my own business, eating my swamp vegetation, when all of a sudden a massive wave of water from the ocean filled with mud swept over me, cut me off from predators, decay, oxidation, and entombed me as a part of the earth forever. Thank you. Catastrophe. Trillions of creatures catastrophically buried. They didn't do anything wrong. We wrecked the world by rebelling against God and that brought the curse. And if those animals' friends could have a voice to speak to us today, I think that some, some, it is a fearful thing, they would say, to fall into what? The hands of the living God. I say, thank you, God, for to telling me how the world was changed forever at the deluge and why. And thank you for your mercy that continues in spite of all we've ever done to you. Thank you for sending the creator of the world and the judge of the world to be our savior on a cross and pay in full the penalty that we can never pay. Confirmed by, are you ready, his resurrection from the dead. Spread the good word in spite of all we've done, in spite of all we deserve for what we've done. God says, keep looking at my son, your savior, from sin's penalty and you'll be mine forever. Thank you, God, for being our guide to see the oceans of the world and the mountains of the world and the fossilized world and help us to know who did it all and why. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.